When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. I had to fail, had to fall, just for what I did well. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the final word, World Cup Daily Day 14. Which means it is over. Jeff Lemon, Adam Collins, I guess the show is still brought to you by Westfield. Why not? Why not Westfield London? Why not Westfield Stratford City? One more time, but the the booming announcements and the sound of echoing of tiles in the background, Adam, means that uh, you are not at Westfield. You are at Heathrow. You are about to head to Australia. I'm about to head to Australia. I will see you there, which is a nice thing to be able to say at the end of a very long World Cup. Yes, it is. Hi, Jeff. Terminal 2, to be precise, um, and not far away from getting given my gate, going back to the girls and heading down there. But I um, said to Rach, I need 20 minutes. Got to record a podcast. Can't stop, won't stop, and, and all of that. So um, uh, hopefully this all works as planned with the technology that I'm using and, and nothing goes to shit. But yeah, we thought that when we did these um, post-Ashes chats back in um, June and July, the day after the afternoon before, they, they tended to be pretty well received. So we thought, given everything that happened last night, it would be... Um, good to turn the microphones on because often when there's a big event you miss a lot I reckon in the immediate aftermath I know it was a long podcast last night but it's impossible to capture everything when it's a hugely important day and of course a World Cup final is exactly that and it's trying to keep everything in your head as well like what are the things that are important the number of times that we were halfway through recording a daily show and would forget one of the vital things because we're trying to concentrate on everything else and we talked through that semi-final and barely talked about David Miller making 100 for instance things like that and things that seem completely obvious and and people go how did you not talk about that and Mm. you say I I don't know I was I was I was trying to think of everything at once at the same time everything everywhere all at once and that's what the last six and a half weeks have been I guess it's been trying to think about everything at once and it's been going to a game and then travelling the next day and then doing a game and then travelling the next day and just bouncing around all over the place. Literally days on this tour when I would wake up and think, I don't know what city I'm in. I'm not entirely sure. I'd have to pull the curtain back and look and think, Calcutta? This is this is Kolkata, yeah. Okay, you know, and, and catch up. Like it's been it's been a lot. Like looking at the back of your guitar. Um, good evening, Shelbyville. You know, <laughs> I can tell you're doing a bit of that sometimes. When I spoke to you, and you had no idea where you were going to be. Where I know we will be, Jeff, is at um, the Corner Hotel on the 11th of December, and at the Comedy Store in Sydney on the 7th of January. Our um, our tickets are going well for the two live shows, but um, this feels like a nice time to strike while the iron is hot. When uh, this has been such a massive year for international cricket, especially Australian cricket. I, that's one of the topics I want to talk about, actually, that um, between the Bordegavaska Trophy starting in the second week of February, I think it was, and, and the World Cup finishing on the 19th of November, there has been so much packed in and thus so much to talk about in a live show. They're the most fun we have, I reckon, Jeff, in terms of there are a lot of work to get off the ground, but once we're actually on stage, 
uh, we can really let loose, have a couple of beers, play our shots and um, get some great people up on stage to talk with us. And so it'll be at the corner on the 11th of December, which is going to be brilliant. I said this on the previous show a couple of days ago. Make it your end of year Christmas do. Bring some clients with you if that's your business. Take some mates from the cricket club, even if they don't know the final word, because I assure, I, I, I guarantee uh, that if they like cricket, um, they will get something out of what we do on stage. What I want is to see people bringing other people along and, and filling it up because the corner's a pretty big room and I would like to have as many people in it as possible. And I've done a lot of stage shows in a lot of venues across Melbourne, uh, great and small and dingy and palatial and all the rest, yep. um, but I've never played the corner. And, and I say played because <laughs> you, you kind of have to say played that sound good. the corner right yeah. i mean we're going to be on stage at the corner we're doing a gig at the corner Jeff. The we're guitar. doing a gig at the corner do the shane watson <laughs> wonderwall but we are doing a gig at the corner that is a significant cultural it thing is. if if you're from melbourne it might not mean a lot to people outside of melbourne but in melbourne you you understand what it means and, and people who are coming to that show will understand and then i guess the comedy store lends itself to the suggestion that we think that we're comedians which is not the case. I think that would be a, a large overstatement to be trying to co-opt somebody else's very specialised line of work because it's not easy doing that. Um, we're a couple of dickheads who occasionally but. tell some jokes in between talking about somebody's bat grip or the intricacies of their inside-out cover drive or what happened yeah. in 1882. But there will be funny things at the Comedy Store show. There'll be funny things at the Corner show. There may be a musical interlude at the Corner show. Who knows? Um, who knows what we're working up in the next few weeks? Yep. We've got ideas. They're, they're percolating. Let's get it percolating. Uh, right. and, and come down. Come down to the Corner or the Comedy Store or... Adelaide, January 19th. I can also announce this now. The Ark Harbour Hotel in Adelaide. Barat and I will be doing a live story time. That'll be a slightly different sort of show. It won't be specifically built as a live show, but it will be live performance of it. Um, and I don't think that's going to be ticketed. I haven't confirmed that yet, but I think we'll just put it on and people can come along. Uh, we'll confirm the details of that as we go. We're still working that out. But if you're in Adelaide, that'll be during the Adelaide Test, the Friday night. Nice one. And the Sydney one's on day five of the Sydney test, so it should line up all pretty nicely. So, Jeff, the uh, the morning after the night before, as it were, I got up very early this morning to get to Heathrow, so I haven't had a huge amount of time to process what we were discussing yesterday. But what I I think what we missed, a few things we missed yesterday, was that the, the enormity of this for Indian cricket, like this is a, a mournful, funereal vibe at the moment. Like this is a generation of cricketers who've um, been building towards this set-piece event at home at this massive stadium and, and all the rest of it, and having dominated the group stage like no side's ever dominated the group stage. And at the, the broader context of India's power inside of the global game and international cricket and where one-day cricket sits within it and all these other bits and pieces, it, it's uh, it's striking just how emotional the response has been and silent to an extent as well. Like whenever we um, talk about cricket on the internet, which is every single day, we get a lot of interaction from our um, Indian audience and I think for the most part, there's been almost a vow of silence to just try and process this in their own ways because um, this means so much more than it would have been. Uh, had Australia lost, it would have mattered, of course, to the group and it would have um, had some uh, knock-on effects, but it wouldn't have been this kind of energy. Um, this feels uh, like a, a, it's been it's a huge blow. So if Wally Hammond were involved, you could say it was a funereal disease. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it is really sad over here, Adam, like... You know, I, I went and had breakfast before and I was just chatting to the guy who runs the restaurant and he, he said, oh, I slept for three hours last night. 
I was in grief. Yep. You know, and this was it was genuine. It was on his face. He was devastated. And I think it, it's easy for us, in a way, for, for you and me, because this is something we love, the game. But it's also work to some extent. And, and we see so much cricket. So even if it means something to us, it's easy to get inured to the significance of it, like to the fact that there is meaning and the fact that it matters. Because we go, OK, well, that's another game. And then after that, there's another one. We move on. We look at the next match. We look at the next one. We, we look at the history of World Cups. We look at the future of cricket. And we've got this bigger time span that, that's our frame of reference, right? It's not just about that one day um, but it means that in a way we don't feel about it in the same way like in some ways where we're not the right people to be talking about it today about about the emotional significance we're analyzing the game but we're not we're not feeling it and, and I think if if you are feeling it in that way it's probably difficult to articulate it so what we're trying to do is articulate something but we're also not the people who can communicate that feeling because we're not going through that feeling so I know that you know, people always expect us to be invested in the fate of the Australian yeah. team because we're Australians. We're, we're invested sometimes in certain players who we want to succeed or who we've backed, but that can be from various teams across the whole spectrum. So it's not so much whether that team does well or doesn't. It, it just doesn't yeah. hit us in the same way, but it has really hit people here. Yeah, I can identify with that, right? Like I know what, what it's felt like... Um, at football events for me, it's more that I have that emotional buy-in to, to a far greater extent. Um, you know, the 2012 grand final, I know how Indian fans are feeling, right? You know, you're expected to win and you don't on, the, on when it matters most and, and all of that. So it's not like I can't empathise with it. But yeah, maybe it's partly because I've been a journalist for a long time now. So have you. Um, people often congratulate us. Go, oh, congratulations on Australia winning. I don't feel that at all. I'm like, yeah, I didn't like do it. It's a dispassionate kind of I'm really, really happy for the people who did well yesterday who we've got to know over the years because we are Australian and speak with an Australian accent, cover the Australian team. So there's a, a natural personal bond that, that grows with certain players. But it's not um, one of parochialism. And that's fine if you're a fan feeling parochial and all the rest of it, but that's not us, right? It's a slightly different perspective. So I see what you're saying there. Um, but in amongst all of that uh, and all of that sorrow, there is, is also like a fair bit of humour to it too, right? Like this is a... Um, if you want to be, um, if you want to be cutting about it, like it is funny that India lost, and I'm sure a lot of people are feeling that emotion as well. A, a side to dominate to that extent, um, there will be a sort of Schadenfreude uh, from a lot of people, I think, who are listening to this, who have taken a great amount of joy in the fact that not just Australian listeners, by the way, that listeners from outside of India, and I think that is actually a, 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 a grudging sign of respect. It reflects where India sits now in the pecking order. If this were a conversation about the Indian national side. 20 years ago, let's say, um, let's use the 2003 World Cup when Australia won that. That would have been, um, I think, most people would, well, rather, I don't think anyone would have thought, well, that is a that is a bigger thing because it's India losing, whereas I think last night there was that overlay. Uh, and that is a reflection of the dominance of Indian cricket across the board, financial clout and so on, since the start of the IPL 16, 17 years ago. And we saw that in 2018 with the sandpaper situation. That was... People yeah, loved yeah. seeing Australia brought down because Australia, even at that point, Australia was still the big dogs, right? Like Australia were the team that was hardest to beat, the team that had won the most and had That's pissed it. the most people off. And there has been this power shift. The power shift has been happening over a much longer period of time than just the last five years. But, but the power shift has become more pointed, more prevalent 
more apparent in the last few years as the IPL goes from strength to strength and gets bigger and richer um, and more players get drawn into going there and it's started more feeder leagues around the world and India's financial power gets bigger by the day and that was in a way that's culminating in this World Cup. This World Cup was supposed to be and, and the win of this World Cup was supposed to be really the final announcement of this this Indian takeover right and we've talked about this before I remember I remember writing about it I think during the T20 World Cup last year that that India has had this financial dominance off the field for quite a long time now really you're going back to Dalmia and the late 90s when that starts to build it takes a long time to crest but it has crested now but the one thing is they haven't actually followed through on the field they haven't had hegemony in terms of the results of the national team when it comes to global events because they can't win these knockout events they haven't been able to do that since that 2011-2013 World Cup Champions Trophy double that's the last time they won anything so they've made finals they've made the Test Championship finals the World Cup final a lot of semi-finals in 20 over and 50 over tournaments but they haven't won and so that hegemony hasn't translated on the field but it's interesting that like you say they're there was a pre-existing resentment in some parts of some cricket countries of the fact that India was supposed to win and had so much in its favour to win. And that resentment didn't seem as prevalent to me when Australia was hosting in 2015 or England was hosting in 2019. Yeah, it was priced in in, in, in a way that it wasn't in 2015 or, or 2019. Like it was such a, a different energy around a 2019 final with England. It wasn't like they were Um, expected to walk it and certainly not Australia in 2015 with New Zealand being such a strong adversary Um, but yeah like the 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 entrails of this so uh, we spoke a little bit yesterday about how Siraj was um, utilized differently in the final and and handled poorly in the sense that he had an entire role shift for the deciding game the flip of that which we didn't talk about was why did Ashwin not play I mean, you know, if you want to make the most of the psychological trauma that India has inflicted upon Australia over generations now, at least the last 10 or 11 years in India at test level, on since the pitch has changed and it's become really difficult to bat there in test cricket, Australia have been bowled out routinely in a session and 240 on the board with Jadeja there, that's part of it, right? But but Ashwin's a huge part of that story. I think that if the um, the, the game plan was to have a pitch that was going to turn more, and clearly, you know, Stuart Broad made this point on social media. The pitch looks like a day four tests track when Australia had it reversing in the opening session in the first half of the game. Surely the, 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 the strong suit there and to make the most of the psychological advantage that's been enjoyed in that country is to play Ashwin, who's a master. But that was a, you know, another misstep. And, you know, Rahul Dravid and Rohit Sharma both spoke very emotionally last night. I read Dravid's transcript before and um, he's, he's trying to... Um, uh, retain the perspective of the sun coming up the next day, which you have to in situations like this. But you know, Rohit Sharma clearly won't play another 50 over World Cup, and, and what a what a glaring omission it'll be from his CV, having been such a dominant force in this form of the game, more than 31 day hundreds. I know Virat Kohli won one when he was a kid, but there's a bit of that around him as well. And look, the, the crowd piece to this, you know, Pat Cummins, it was a prescient comment saying that there's nothing more satisfying than silencing a crowd. The fact that they did that so successfully, half the crowd left before the final ball was bowled. And then they were, as I foreshadowed, Jeff, on the previous show, booing Richard Kettleborough 
um, during the presentation. And I know that that wouldn't have been the whole crowd, but booing, obviously, it doesn't take that many people to boo to make it sound loud. But it did stand out that Kettlebra uh, was the official that the crowd didn't like, given the history with him in India. And I'm sure there are various conspiracy theories doing the rounds right now because of the, the non-decision with Boomerang and Travis Head when he was on about 60-odd. Well, there was already this idea circulating before this final, right? That um, oh, it was something like, oh, India have played in XYZ knockout games and lost them and Kettlebra has umpired in those games. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. Virat Kohli's played in all those games as well. I, I don't think he was conspiring to lose them either. You know, it's a nonsense. Kettlebra got appointed to umpire the final because he's one of the best umpires in the world and one of the most respected and his decision-making was terrific through the campaign, particularly the last couple of games when it was most important. That South Africa-Australia semi, he had a belter. Yep. So, yeah, when he got called up to the stage, they do a ceremony, they give the umpires a little medal or a pin or some you know, commemorative teaspoon, whatever it is, for being the umpires in the final. And when he was called up and, and announced, um, Henry Moran and I were standing by the boundary just in front of that crowd. And there was a noticeable amount of booing directed at him, not from everybody. Like, like you say, it, it's, it's like the Steve Smith moment at Lords in 2019 where there was a bit of booing and then you get this very confident these 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 statements from people who aren't there and that coverage like God, yeah. it, it gives me the shits that kind of coverage exactly. there, there's a reason you go right there's a reason you make the effort to rock up to games so that you actually know what's going on and then you get this kind of tabloid bullshit that we get going on back in Australia where they say oh everybody left and the whole crowd refused to applaud the Australian team and all this kind of stuff which is bullshit a lot of the crowd were mm, mm. applauding Travis Head when he made his hundred um, a big chunk of people stayed to watch the presentation it, it was respectful for the most part like it's not true but you see a few pictures on tv you get a few bits picked up on tv microphones and then you get the same presentation of it as at lords where the idea is that everybody in lords was was on their were on their feet booing steve smith when he was injured coming on and off the field in 2019 which was just not the case it was probably a couple of hundred drunk idiots at most who were doing it everybody else wasn't and yeah it just, it just bothers me when a crowd gets tarred with a single brush by people who aren't even at the game and also like you're entitled to leave once the game's over um i always feel this way about when your team loses if you want to leave at the end you don't have to sit around and watch the other side celebrate um I can tell you, I talked about the 2012 grand final before. I did not watch Sydney hold the cup up that day. I was long gone <laughs> after the siren went. No, well, I was why out would of there. You? Um, your so dad was I probably gone a quarter before that. And, and so there was, yeah, quite. And there was an hour between the final ball being bowled and the presentation anyway, which is a whole other thing. I have no idea how that happened. And that's other bits and bobs we missed. Uh, you know, the hilarity of Pat Cummins being on stage on his own for about 20 seconds after receiving the World Cup because he didn't receive it with the team, which is the custom. He received it on his own with the Prime Minister and the Australian Deputy Prime Minister. And there's this weird moment where he's just kind of standing there with Thunderstruck playing <laughs> before the team finally come up and, you know, the cricket ground DJ played a blinder there. So just on the Aussies, Jeff. Um, oh, sorry, one more India thing. I, I didn't spot this until this morning. India only scored four boundaries after the first 10 overs. That is a remarkable stat. I read somewhere it's the joint lowest in any one-day international since 2005 for a side that batted through. That's incredible. And that is where a lot of scrutiny is falling at the feet of um, KL Rahul and, and to an extent Kohli, but mostly Rahul. And we went to that a bit yesterday. But that was the strategic decision India made to go lighter on batting, to only have seven specialist bats and have, well, seven recognised batters, if you like, and having a longer tail and, and playing it that way. And Hardik Pandya 
um, and not having him there as a swing man did change the, the balance of the side. And that's just, um, you know, the way these things break. Just on Australia, um, you know, Simon Wallace, who's been a, a long-term listener to this show and a supporter of ours from the very start, an old colleague on White Line Wireless as well, said something on Twitter yesterday which stood out to me about being proud of the Australian team again. And I think this is a really like, interesting um, interesting area to interrogate. Like, um, after Sandpaper in 2018, um, which you mentioned a moment ago, there was a sense that the, the, the national cricket team wasn't one that we could be proud of anymore. And we tapped into that sentiment when we were recording in South Africa at the time. This side does feel like one that you can be proud of. Not in a jingoistic, nationalistic way, not trying to assert that because they won the World Cup yesterday that Australia is therefore the most important test one day playing nation. None of that garbage more just that the the guys who are playing at the moment as Dan Brady put in his piece with a smile and you can kind of see that the group that have come together they're grown-ups and they're doing that under the leadership of Pat Cummins who was savaged at multiple times over the last 18 months from former players former greats of Australian cricket when Justin Langer was deposed as coach when they lost test matches in uh, in um, in India earlier this year as well, you know the, the the op-ed brigade and so on, saying that he was too woke to lead a successful cricket team. Um, instead, the opposite's been true. Uh, a, a 2023, they'll look back on with an enormous amount of pride. World Test champions retain the Ashes and then win the 50 over World Cup. And Cummins being central to all of that, uh, and how his leadership credentials have been enhanced yet further, all in the backdrop of having 12 months ago had to field questions about whether the Australian public would protest by not even coming to test cricket because he was too woke and taking the knee and all this other bullshit. Well, you know, I think that the silent majority have spoken on that front. Imagine though, imagine how much more they would have won the World (laughs) Cup by if Justin Langer had been coaching. If Justin Langer had been coaching, it would have been Australia versus Australia A in the World (laughs) Cup final. Somehow they would have found a way. Greg Rowell would have got involved. Um, another thing I forgot to mention yesterday, there was, it was this really nice bit. There was something nice to the fact that Travis Head got out just at the end. Like, I right. I wanted him, I wanted him to hit a six and go past Ponting for the the one forty that Ponting made in the O three final, which would have made him the highest scorer, right behind Gilchrist with the one forty nine for a score in a World Cup final. Um, Viv Viv didn't make that many, did he? Viv got one thirty eight. So Head ends up 137 just behind Viv and Ponting. Could have yep. gone past them had that last hit cleared the rope. But the fact is that that meant he got to come off on his own before the match was over. And, and there are two parts of this. One mm. is that I, I think there should be respect to the Indian team for the fact that a bunch of their players made a point of running over to him as he was walking off. And, and they must have been absolutely distraught at that point. Of course, like yeah. The game's gone. It's a formality. He's won it. And they still made a point of going to congratulate him on the innings that he had played and what that meant for him. And I know it's kind of a convention to, to congratulate a player who's made 100, but at that stage in the game, that stage in the tournament, I, I was quite touched by that. It's kind of like when Michael Clark walked off in 2015. Remember, Jeff, he got out with about 10 runs to win and, and on 70-odd and got to enjoy the 100,000, well, sorry, 93,043 people um, as one cheering Clark off in his final one day for Australia and different circumstances for head. But yeah, I think in a way, sometimes getting out just before the finish line mm. is a nicer thing for the player. And then the really nice thing in all of this is that all of the Australian players on the sidelines, right by the boundary, were waiting for him as he came yeah, off yeah. and he just got engulfed 
by them. So it wasn't in the confusion and the chaos of the winning moment, which comes a little bit later, but he gets to have his own moment of being appreciated by everyone on his team and, and the, the smiles, the huge smiles on all their faces before Maxwell gets those winning runs and, and adds another moment to, to the highlight reel. I love the way that the Australians responded to Heads 100 as well on the boundary line. Like, obviously, it means a lot to them and their interests are served by Head playing well, but also, they, they love him, right? Like, um, they were emotional. You could see Zampa and Maxwell going fucking wild, uh, emotionally wild as well, not just, like, clapping. Because, you know, this is a guy, Travis Head, who's an extremely likable human being. And they've ridden the bumps with this guy. We spoke about it on The Daily Show yesterday, um, the, the roller coaster career that's been for him, to now come out the other side of 2023 as the most important player in the Australian side. Who had that on their bingo card two years ago? But Travis Head would be the most dependable Australian cricketer in big match situations. It's a, it's a, you know, he was playing for his international career in the Sheffield Shield two years ago, was a long way from the one day side. Uh, and now, you know, was number five in the test team and, and doing what he's doing at the top of the list in the one day side. He only got back to the one day side last year in Pakistan. He had a 60 ball hundred in Lahore and he got there through weighted runs through what he did for South Australia. It's, um, yeah, it's a great story. Uh, and yeah, I, I really enjoyed too that, that they were, I don't know what they were doing with their hands that, um, that up and down motion, like they were patting him on the head. I think that's what, what it might have meant. Um, they were like going, like repeatedly doing that as he was walking off. It felt like it was about, anyway, whatever it was, it was um, it was something that is an in joke that, that felt like they were able to properly um, celebrate that as he crossed the ropes. So I know you have to leave shortly and I'm not long after that. So we, we probably don't have time to go through a whole lot of moments from the tournament flashback memory lane stuff um I, I wondered if there were any that stood out to you i i was just thinking back through it i thought rizwan making the hundred yeah. against sri lanka when pakistan chased down 340 and rizwan was falling over and cramping and and being like it looked like he was being snipered from the roof every couple of deliveries that that was a fun night and then Pakistan being rolled by Afghanistan, that was one of the games that I was lucky to be at, to yep. be calling that game when it happened, when Afghanistan knocked off their closest neighbours and their biggest rivals for the first time. And that, that felt extraordinary. I thought, like I thought Afghanistan's England win, they were terrific. Um, we know what they went on to do through the campaign, the way they took out Sri Lanka uh, and should have had Australia, if not for a miracle, all of that. But it felt like that Pakistan win was the biggest of the mm. lot because it was Afghanistan chasing clinically for the first time. It wasn't them doing the bowling squeeze. It was them saying, we are not afraid of chasing 280 against the quality of your bowling attack. Shaheen Shah Afridi, it doesn't matter. We've got this. And they did it nervelessly. It felt like such a significant moment for them. As usual in World Cups, it's the upsets and the close games, right? And we were, we, were, um, we were waiting for that for about a fortnight. There was nothing doing. They were all comprehensive. I don't think... We got, we got a game go to the final two overs until 16, 17 days in. So, um, but, but when we got there, there were quite a few um, good ones. And even the, the games that were won heavily by one side, like the Dutch thrashing South Africa. Oh, they, they played um, so which well. Which will go down as a, a great World Cup moment. You've yeah. already touched on it, the Afghanistan story, winning those yeah. four games on the trot. Um, you know, the way they iced the game against Pakistan was just superb. I was doing the Guardian coverage that night as well, and it felt like a real coming-of-age moment for that for that group, especially the batting group, because the bowlers we talk about all the time with Afghanistan, but it was the batters who were so chilled. Um, as Matula, his emergence, he doesn't make the team of the tournament, by the way. And, I, I, you know, I, I could go either way on that. I can I could make the case. You, you and I could make the case for As Matula being in the team of the tournament. I know why they haven't. They've gone with Jadeja instead uh, in that number seven slot. But he was so versatile, 23 years of age, 
um, bettering his high score four times in the tournament, taking crucial wickets, nearly taking a hat-trick against Australia. Um, I think in five years' time, he'll be the guy they're building a team around who can make the semi-final of a World Cup. You know what I mean? He's the guy you can see being a proper superstar for the next generation. So do you want to go through a team of the tournament? Why don't we just read out the team of the tournament? Uh, and if we have any major quibbles, we can, we can do that. I sent it to you before, Jeff. Can you bring it up on your screen? The uh, the official team of the tournament and where we had any concerns with that. I have quite a few concerns, to be honest. <laughs> it's pretty lazy. They've basically just gone on the leaderboards. So Quentin de Kock and Rohit Sharma opening the batting. Coley three, Daryl Mitchell four, Kale Rahul five, which is interesting. Maxwell six, mm. Jadeja seven. Uh, and then Bumra, Madashanka, the left arm quick from Sri Lanka, who had a really good tournament. Adam Zampa, Mohamed Shami with Gerald Kurtzia as the 12th, uh, the extra fast bowler. Now, I would start with saying that initially, I did one of these at the end of the group stage, and I had Warner just ahead of Rohit Sharma there, but Rohit overtook him in the knockouts, played really well, both games scored quickly. And then uh, Quentin de Kock, you can have him on bulk of runs, made 400s in the tournament, you know, very, very good. But but Travis Head was the player of the match in the semi-final and in, in the final. final. And mm. I know he didn't make five or 600 runs like some of the others in the tournament, but he's player of the match in the two knockouts and they win the title. Surely he has to be the opener in the team of the tournament. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I thought the same thing. You know, to cock extraordinarily unlucky to miss in the circumstances, but I'm, I'm taking Head as the other opener. Australia are a bit underrepresented in this side, actually, with, you know, I know Zampa's there and... Uh, but you know, and Maxwell's there as well, and I think that's right. Um, but you could, yeah, definitely make a case for, for Travis Head. I think up top. Uh, Coley, a million runs at three, fine, average sure. ninety-five in the tournament, Absolutely. no worries. Um, but I would be saying after that, I want Ratchan Ravindra in this side, and because Coley's at three, I'm willing to bat him at four. So he opened the batting, he batted three, he can go down to four. He's got the versatility, and he can bowl some spin as well. He's been such a story. And then Azmatullah batted five for Afghanistan and I think he should bat five for this team there is a strong argument for this yep. he made runs against India 62 there 73 not out when they beat Sri Lanka 97 not out against mm-hmm. South Africa in getting them a good total under pressure against some really good bowling uh, and even some of the smaller scores he made against for instance England and Australia came when he kept the innings going at crucial times he made sure they didn't lose momentum um, he was he never looked intimidated with the bat so he scored his runs at a runner ball average 70 not out three times very consistent lowest score was 19 through the whole tournament made some scores in the 20s three scores over 50 and bowled in every game only ends with seven wickets of 38 but he bowled in tough periods did a lot of their death bowling took some stick there was willing to do that and then periods like that game against australia when bowling conditions were favorable looked really dangerous genuinely like a a genuine option so i think you put all of that together and i think that outmatches daryl mitchell who made a couple of hundreds was impressive but didn't bowl only bowled a couple of times in the tournament and there was just there's something there in terms of the degree of difficulty that one or other of them was up against where I think it's Asmatullah. Ravindra was the breakout star of the tournament, right? Um, did it on opening night and um, and made two other hundreds along the way, including a, a magnificent century trying to chase against Australia. And I know they didn't win that game, but um, yeah, I have Ravindra in that sort of group ahead of KL Rahul. And I know it's not perfect with the batting lineup, but it seldom is when you... Um, when you're trying to uh, put together a team of the tournament, like in, in much the same way that you know, I, I think with these things, do you pick your captain first? You know, do you pick your captain first? In which case, Pat Cummins, who there's going to be 
revisionist history for this forever. I can already tell on the TV commentary last night um, as things were getting um, sadder and sadder for some of the commentators who found it difficult to keep their emotions in check. Um, it, it had already flipped to, oh, you know, Australia, good toss to win, batting second in the dew and, and so on. I'm like, no, 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 no. That was Cummins. That was, as we described last night, that's the boldest call I've ever seen at a toss. And for it to come off that way and to have that plan and to execute it accordingly, to keep their shit together when things were going off the rails at Norton 2, to reset. I'm not saying Cummins is in the team on his bowling, although he did have a really good elimination stage, bowled beautifully in the final. Um, he did a lot of hard work. He broke open Sri Lanka when times were tough as well. So he played a selfless role with the ball, but I think he's the most important captain uh, through the course of the tournament to get Australia back on track, to get them building at the right time and obviously having what's akin to the perfect performance with the ball uh, when it mattered most. Only you know those four boundaries they conceded between overs 11 and 50 is the is the cherry on top. I think he is in the team for his bowling. I think in, in my team you've got Ratchan 4, Asmatula 5, Maxwell 6 obviously and then... Un- I need a wicketkeeper, so I was going to put Quinny down the order, but then I thought, Heinrich Klassen is a wicketkeeper, and he struck the ball at 130. So, yeah, sure, he didn't keep wicket in this tournament, but there are no rules. They can't st- no one can arrest me for this. Why not shake this up? Klassen with the gloves. Yeah. And then, so the bowling picks in, in the team of the tournament, lazy, like I said, they just grabbed the top four wicket takers, Boomer, Shami, Matashanka, Zampa, and then the fifth highest in Kurtzia for 12th. But... Like, what are they in the team to do? What are their jobs? Cummins bowled the tough overs through the middle. He had a particular job to do there, which he did really well. He batted really well too. He won the fucking thing. Like, you've got to give him a run, surely. And he can bat eight just on vibes. And then, and then you know, Zampa was good with his 23 wickets, um, equaled Murali, Spinner in a World Cup, all of that. But he goes at 5.3 and over. Jadeja went at 4.2. So if I were picking one spinner, I'd say, well, Jadeja took 16 wickets compared to 23, but he kept things so much tighter, you know, more than a run per over, more economical, 10 runs per game. I would have him as a specialist spinner. He's a better fielder and he can bat. So, you know, why not? he can bat at nine behind Cummins. Why not? give him a different job to do and then Boomer and Shami you have to have Boomer went at 4.06 runs and over that is the lowest of any bowler who took a wicket in the tournament except for Ashwin who played one game it is remarkable and then Shami 24 wickets at 10 and he played seven games out of the 11. As we end our conversation Jeff just a word for the the format like you and I have for years been saying that a good game of one day cricket's hard to beat uh, and it is unloved and hopefully what we've seen in the last few weeks reminds people of what this can be. And um, the World Cup Super League's no longer, but League Two's going to exist. That's that's significant. Um, so a lot of teams you've seen this World Cup, well, I say a lot, the Dutch, we'll be able to see them in, in League Two and you'll be able to um, attract their progress to a 14-team World Cup in four years' time. Fingers crossed India losing yesterday actually helps the format. It could go either way, really, couldn't it? Some have cynically said that because they've lost that one-day cricket might even be in, in greater peril. But I, I'd like to believe that the incentive of winning the thing in four years' time will keep it relevant at least to that juncture and hopefully well beyond. Um, because if anything, yesterday's final, the chase especially, proved that um, this uh, the, the ability to play really technically tough cricket um, is part of what makes one-day cricket glorious. And um, let's hope that there is uh, still space for it Uh, to flourish and it doesn't get reduced yet further. All right, we've got gates to get to. I have a podcast to post, so we should bring an end to this episode. I should say a few other things. One, uh, we've been really well supported on Patreon through this tournament. Thank you. Um, If you want to get involved in that, 
the show continues to run. We're very busy at the moment. We've got a massive interview dropping uh, on Tuesday into the feed, uh, an all-time great uh, who has joined the show. So um, for more of that and to support Jeff and me doing the, the things that we do, um, patreon.com forward slash the final word. We've already mentioned the two live shows coming up in Melbourne and Sydney. The tickets are on sale. It's all in the show notes, all very straightforward to come along to that. Bring your mates. It's going to be a great time. Uh, and Jeff, well done. It's been a huge seven weeks on the road for you. I know how taxing it is being on the road uh, at the best of times, but when you're flying a lot, it's even harder. Um, you've kept your shit together really nicely uh, all the way through, done a great job. And uh, I'm sure the whole final word crew are very proud of the way you um, performed on radio as well. You were the star on TMS and um, may that continue long into the future. Uh, and we will get a chance to um, do another one of these podcasts in a couple of days' time when we're both back in Australia. Thank you. And we will. We will see each other soon on home soil. I will kiss the runway when I get off the plane. But, yeah, it, it's been it's been a hell of a year so far. It has been so busy. There is a little bit more of 2023 yet to go. Two more test matches before we get to our New Year's Eve show, which has become a tradition on the final word. Uh, and the live show's coming up. Uh, there are final word matches being played in Melbourne and in Sydney as well. There is so much going on. Um, December 3, if you want to come down to the game at Brunswick Street Oval. Plenty more coming up on the final word feed. Stick with us. We can't stop and we won't stop. This has been the final word, the World Cup Daily. It is day 47 and it is over. We're out.